Hey, welcome back to the Cannabloomers podcast. There's so much to talk about with this plant that was under prohibition for about 100 years while our scientific knowledge of everything else was advancing. It just means that we've barely scratched the surface of all the cannabinoids that are in this plant, the terpenes, the, the many, many potential applications of it. Today's guest, Andrea Holmes, PhD, is an organic chemist with Precision Plant Molecules in Colorado. She has great passion for her subject and a lot of expertise on this. So let's dive in. Thanks to Danny in Milwaukee for making us sound good. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboomers podcast. Today we have Andrea Holmes, PhD, organic chemist. How are you, Andrea? I'm excellent. We're here to talk about CBD and wellness, and I became interested in what you're doing because I saw an article in, that you wrote in Nutritional Outlook where you talked about CBD and cannabis as a bespoke medicine. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I think the future of cannabis is personalized medicine because everybody has you know, different needs and there's different um, consumer sensitivities and you know, CBD and cannabis and all of the constituents that are in the plant, um, they have the potential to be, you know, customized and personalized. Some of our listeners are familiar with cannabinoids. Right now, I think known cannabinoids are at about 113. There mm -hmm. are more than 200 terpenes. There are mm -hmm. other plant-based things that come into this. So I've spoken of it as kind of a matrix. There's a lot of possibilities with this plant. In fact, um, every couple of days, I um, I hear new cannabinoids emerging. Um, you know where people are really doing a complete deep dive into the molecular structures, and oftentimes uh, there are cannabinoids that we don't know of yet. Um, and then you know some people who have the abilities to really isolate these cannabinoids, even if they are just available in a very small concentration, they're able to isolate those and char characterize them and then um, elucidate the actual molecular structure and then come to find out, oh, wow, we have a new isomer. Oh, the double bond is not between carbon one and two, it's now between carbon three and four. And nobody really knows yet, well, is this isomer good for something, you know, because we have no research at this point to to determine whether there are health and wellness benefits associated with um, each of these cannabinoids that are found. But I remember when I started in this industry that when I went to conferences, there were always um, speakers that would present data and they would uh, refer to some of the data as, oh, this is a mystery peak, this is a mystery compound. And then as we slowly start learning more and more about the plants, we're starting to figure out, okay, so this mystery compound is a new emerging cannabinoid that nobody knows about, like CBT or an isomer of THC instead of THC delta 9 or delta 8. Now, I just read an article yesterday, I think it was, it's delta 10. So it's another shift in the double bond. Wow. You know, the whole dynamics of this is humans have consumed this plant for thousands of years, but with the prohibition over the last 100 years, we didn't really put it under the microscope, so to speak. And 
maybe literally. It sounds like almost an explosion of research is happening. In fact, that is uh, very true. Uh, more and more people are becoming interested. And, you know, after CBD was approved uh, by the FDA um, as Epidiolex um, from uh, GW Pharma, you know, people are started to pay a lot of attention that we need um, human trials. And if you do a literature search out um, there in the scientific literature, you know, uh, most of the literature hits you could back are still on THC, uh, followed by CBD. But um, but then there's also a lot of research that you can find now on, on the ones that, um, like CBN is the next one um, in terms of numbers, and that's then followed by CBG and then CBC. And then some of them even have zero hits because nobody ever looked at them yet. Um, but more and more research is coming, but the unfortunate thing at this point, uh, the major cannabinoid THC and CBD, they're the only ones that have, um, actual human, uh, double blind trials that, you know, have a good reputation, but the research on the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes, the CBN, CBGs and the terpenes, et cetera, they have mostly, um, animal models or um, in vitro cell models. So, and we can make really good um, scientific conclusions on the animal model um, or on the cell model, but it's just uh, not as well, you know, um, solidified unless you have a human trial. Sure. I mean, that's the gold standard, right? Yeah. How about computer simulations? Do you guys use those too? Yeah, a lot of um, drug discovery um, uh, scientists, they use computer simulated um, programs in which you can, you know, see how a particular molecule fits into a particular receptor. And so that is definitely um, one area that's emerging research based on theoretical predictions. And you can do that by, you know, pulling up um, crystal structures uh, of of proteins or receptors in the nervous system and do experiments where you take a molecule such as um, a cannabinoid and see how it would fit and would they have a good uh, match. Um, these are called docking mechanisms where, you know, does this molecule like a cannabinoid actually really attached to this type of receptor? And if it does, in what conformation and what type of three-dimensional structure does the receptor or the protein have where the docking or the binding is occurring? Obviously, you have to know what you're looking for. Some of the cannabinoids you mentioned, CBG and CBC, CBDV, can you tell me concretely what sort of efficacies they might have? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so CBG, for example, and, 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 but before before I really say what some of these have, there's a couple of things that I I want to say ahead of time, and that is that like any kind of like statement that I'm making about efficacy, when I do that, those are uh, based on my literature searches. And um, but I must say the, the minor cannabinoids are mostly in vitro studies and animal models. 
And the reason why that is, is because the legal landscape has kind of still prevented all this research and clinical trials. And the access to rare cannabinoids um, is still pretty difficult. And, um, and that's why there's pretty um, limited research and the, the CBG, for example, and CBC and some of the other ones, they have very similar molecular structures and they all bind um, to receptors in the endocannabinoid system, which is part of your central nervous system. And so oftentimes these properties are overlapping and CBG could have the same type of um, efficacy as CBC. Um, just to talking about uh, CBG, for example, it has been shown that it has great anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial properties against uh, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus, um, which is in commonly known as MRSA. Um, these are oftentimes hospital-acquired infections when people go into the hospital and they had no infection and then they have some kind of surgery and then they get a really, really bad infection. And then these are really resistant against uh, regular antibiotics. And so CBG has found these um, antimicrobial properties against MRSA. Um, and then um, for skin, uh, it really has been interesting because CBG has sort of made a, um, a breakthrough into the cosmetic industry because of the properties that it has been associated with skin, like psoriasis and itching and dry skin, red skin, acne, etc. So it's oftentimes used in combination with CBD. Um, and the reason why that's oftentimes done where a formulation occurs with um, CBD or THC in the presence of CBG is because of the entourage effect. You know, we've talked to other uh, guests about isolates and the validity of the entourage effect. I assume you're a believer in the entourage effect. Yes, uh, uh, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to quantify, I guess, if, but when you start to pull out one cannabinoid and try to see what the effect of that is, that's a big job. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the entourage effect can happen you know, not just with cannabinoids, but the anything, basically you have to look at what what is the definition of a cannabinoid, right? Um, and the definition is, well, it's a molecule that binds to the endocannabinoid system. And, um, and so by that definition, it's not just the cannabinoids <laughs> that are actually cannabinoids, because there's a lot of things that are binding to the endocannabinoid system, such as the terpenes, right? Um, so some of those terpenes should be called a cannabinoid because um, the, the major terpene, for example, in, um, in hemp is um, carophylline, which gives it the very spicy smell, the characteristic one that is also associated with antibacterial and antifungal and anti-inflammatory properties. And so when carophylline works hand in hand with um, cannabinoids, you know, binding on those same receptors and acting synergistically, then um, then the summation is, uh, so then the result is greater than the summation of the individual um, components. Um, so, and it's also interesting because, uh, you know, research has actually been done. Um, there was a really great review in 2011 in the British Journal of Pharmacology where they studied which 
cannabinoid can actually work hand in hand in the entourage effect with what terpenoid. Uh, just give you an example, THC and CBD have shown um, an entourage effect with limonene and pinene. Limonene is the terpene that gives sort of like a lemony smell. And pinene is the smell that you have when you go through um, the woods and you smell the pine trees. And so THC and limonene or THC and pinene, um, they have shown to have a great um, analgesic effect uh, via the CB1 and the CB2 reactor. Um, whereas CBD in the presence or in connection with limonene and pinene has shown to have an enhanced effect uh, with anti-anxiety. And that doesn't even go through the CB1 and CB2 receptor. It goes through a completely different receptor in the body. So there's just so much wealth of information that we're just now getting our hands on how all these molecules are working together. Right. Well, and then we do have our own endogenous cannabinoids. Exactly. So what we're learning is that, you know, you can supplement and possibly augment your endocannabinoid system with these plant-based molecules. You know, uh, I, I forgot to mention that point earlier. You're absolutely right. There's these two, there's these two predominant um, endocannabinoids, um, and they completely look totally different than any cannabinoid that you can isolate from the plant, um, but yet they are called cannabinoids, right? Um, because they're binding to the receptor. And then you have to also then ask a bigger question, like I said earlier, what is um, a cannabinoid? Uh, is it a molecule that leads to basically regulation? Uh, is it something that means um, that the balancing and the harmonizing activities, uh, for example, of adaptogens, adaptogens uh, have recently made a huge um, influx into the nutritional world um, where, uh, you know, an adaptogen is a non-toxic um, sort of stress-reducing, balancing um, plant-derived substance, and it brings the body to a balance, to a homeostasis. And these adaptogens, you know, the, you can almost use the definition of an adaptogen to cannabis because it brings um, homeostasis into your body. Um, but then, you know, what is it that we really want? I mean, we want cannabinoids, you know, having, uh, giving us health and wellness and medicinal benefits. But then you can, you got to really open your eyes to natural medicine as a whole and look at all of the beneficial compounds um, and plant extracts. As you've mentioned with terpenes, if you're a believer in aromatherapy, then it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I, I'm a big, big aromatherapy fan. <laughs> you should come to my house. It, there's diffusers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we even have an endocannabinoid system in our bodies wasn't known until, what, the mid-90s or so? Yeah, you know, um, there was always suspicion uh, that there was something because, you know, in the 60s, the hippies, uh, when they started smoking uh, marijuana, they, you know, there were a lot of medicinal reports that marijuana makes them feel really good. It helps with pain. It helps with, um, you know, overall feeling of well-being. So there was um, slow discoveries there uh, with some major researchers in that area. But it really has only started getting some some 
significant attention here in the 90s and um and you know it's unbelievable because this system is really changing um it's a revolutionary change in the landscape of medicine if you think about the 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 power that that system has it's it's directly located in your brain in your central nervous system and it really affects everything in your body and in your psyche um and the unfortunate statement i have to make though is that um there only up to this point only 10% of medical schools are really teaching the endocannabinoid system um the medical schools still focus on you know the major systems and not on the endocannabinoid system but it is slowly changing so where did you educate yourself on the endocannabinoid system how did you learn about it i just study a lot um you know i i'm constantly reading i I, I, I browse the literature. Um, I, I work very, very closely with my coworkers and basically any, I get so many emails a day from my coworkers that have to do with a particular topic. And I have just taken the stand of, I'm not going to ignore any kind of email or any paper that comes across my desk or any new publication that I see. I'm just always taking the time to, to look at that, even if it's a quick read. Um, and I also look very tightly at um, funding opportunities, um, federal funding opportunities from the National Institutes of Health. So I always follow what um, kind of announcements, uh, notice of uh, funding announcements are available. And so, for example, last year um, in um, 2019, the first federal funding opportunity was announced by the National Institutes of Health to study the mechanisms of these um, underlying analgesic properties. And it was of the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes in particular that they were focusing on and not the major ones like THC and CBD. Um, and the other impressive piece that I saw there is that that initiative really encouraged the interdisciplinary collaborations. So it's not just that a chemist like myself can apply for that. In fact, I would have to be collaborating, which is exactly what science is, with pharmacologists, other chemists, physicists, um, neuroscientists, uh, geneticists, immunologists, I mean, behavioral scientists, all of this has to be interdisciplinary if we're going to really get our hands in, uh, uh, on, on good knowledge. Um, so, and then this year, they actually announced um, the same funding opportunity. So there's lots of money now that is being uh, approved by the federal government to encourage research and to overcome some of those um, restrictions that we've had in the last, you know, so many years where, where researchers can apply for funding and the, the hurdles of getting access to cannabinoids, you know, uh, hopefully is getting a lot easier and not so stringent like it used to be. That's good news. I wasn't aware of that. If they've relaxed some of the stigma around this, that's very good news indeed. And I think it's interesting when you talk about interdisciplinary and even going back to, you know, in the 60s, as you mentioned, people were smoking cannabis and 
there were a few people who said, yeah, you know, it, it stops nausea. It has medicinal properties, but they, they were voices in the wilderness. But now you describe finding almost every day that there's another new compound in this plant that that's happening. And on the other side, since say the sixties, the whole human genome has been mapped and we understand that in ways that we didn't before. It seems to me, I don't know exactly where you put yourself, but are you sort of a matchmaker trying to see what's in the plant that can fit the genetics of that particular human? Oh, wow, that is way beyond what I could possibly do, but that is exactly where we we should be heading, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that is in the true essence, that's the true essence of personalized medicine, right? Where we can do a complete match between your genome and whatever mutations you have and how we can, you know, do gene therapy using cannabinoids and other um, phytocompounds. And I think we're far, we're quite far away from that right now but we're moving into that direction because even the genome um, of of cannabis hasn't been fully um, determined because other if we would really know all of the genome of of um, um, cannabis we would be able to successfully knock out um, you know the THC generating um, gene for example because so many people want to now have um, THC free biomass because of the increased legalization of hemp all over the United States as the farm bill was approved um, but we're not really able to do that we're, we're working on it by you know by breeding breeding out the the, the THC um, generating gene but if if you um, think about it um, the technology called CRISPR, which is basically a gene editing tool. You know, we don't really know yet where's the THC generating gene and can we just cut it out? Um, And that's where we're heading. So we're heading towards um, CRISPR. We're heading towards um, optimization of the genome of cannabis. And we're heading towards figuring out how is that all going to match with the human uh, genome and how can we uh, develop technology to do this matchmaking that you were talking about. Yeah, so that's the ultimate vision. And I guess we've kind of scratched the surface, right? So it must be very exciting to be a scientist in the middle of this. I'm super, super excited about it. Like I said, um, um, I have kind of found a new calling in this area. Um, I've been very successful in my career over the last 20 years. I've run multi-million dollar uh, federally funded research uh, grants uh, and uh, have really done a lot of work, but um, I have never, you know, and, and the work I've done in my career was interesting, but not nearly as interesting as what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, this is this is just so super and um, mind-boggling, and and in many ways, I would almost consider it really, really difficult, you know, because of the newness, because of the fact that, you know, we don't, uh, you know, sometimes I have to quote Pluto, all I know is that I know nothing. Um, and, and that is exactly what this feel is, is for me right now. I, I just feel like even though I may appear to know a lot, I know nothing. And that is what invigorates me because I want to learn, I want to discover, and I, I want to figure things out. And, you know, every time I look around, the market is turning into a new direction. You know, every time I here's something now, all of a sudden people don't want CBD anymore. They want the acidic form of CBD, like CBDA or CBGA or, you know, THCA, because all of a sudden 
people have heard anecdotal evidence from others that um, CBD is actually more effective than CBD to reduce um, nausea and has cytotoxic activity against colon cancer and is good for diabetes and THCV helps with weight loss and things like that. So there's always like new things. And then I have to figure out, oh, wow, I got to go dig into this and see, see what what's new. There's so few human clinical trials. So there's so much room to test things and see what's working. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so invigorating about this field. And then the whole, you know, there's a whole nother aspect of, um, there's just so many aspects to this area, like delivery methods, you know, what is the best delivery method for what person? Because everybody, like in that article, you know, bespoke um, cannabinoid medicine what is that what does that look like for you because you have completely different you know you said earlier you were a runner so athletes have completely different needs than for example um an elderly person who is suffering of arthritis um you know you might be willing to take um some of the cannabinoids by um, sublingual um, transmission, whereas an elderly person would prefer to take um, a cannabis-based product and just rub it on their knees. You know, some people would feel really comfortable of, um, you know, inhalation uh, or using transdermal patches because it helps with, you know, a continuous um drug delivery system so it's just the delivery systems themselves like what what exactly gives you the most bioavailability you know there's just so many cool technologies out there and that are emerging that we need to figure out okay so should we use nano encapsulation to encapsulate the cannabinoids so that when the person takes it um, you know, that it becomes immediately available into the bloodstream? Or should we um, figure out uh, what's called liposomes, you know, and, and and use cannabinoids in the presence of a fatty meal? I mean, there's just a lot of technology there that needs to be uh, developed. And so the, the, the future of these cannabinoids, and um, in, in particular now the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes, there's just a lot of mass appeal there um and because of these um um you know uh, customer-based products and the massive demand that's really now emerging across the globe um i think the 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 future is just in in healthcare products um the future is in dietary supplements in, in in functional foods and beverages i mean personal care uh, sports nutrition, you know, um, and and the pharma industry, and I, I think it'll have quite a, a high economic impact. And I just want to circle back around from you know before we started recording when you and I were discussing the coronavirus. I would not be surprised if um, right now you know researchers uh, would would target cannabinoids and terpenes and adaptogen and you name it um, and and do uh, try to do antiviral studies to determine whether there are properties there when I did a recent literature search I looked for that and I found that cannabinoids have antiviral properties um, for um, what was that hepatitis and I think herpes but 
it was only CBD and THC that I could find. Um, so obviously the minor cannabinoids were not in that. Um, I got no results on any of the minor cannabinoids. And But I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we were to get research results that would show that, you know, minor cannabinoids in the presence of ter terpenes and other um, adapters would, would give an antiviral synergistic mm -hmm. effect. Well, there's so much of it that's so optimistic, but as you say, it's kind of out there. There's a lot of studies to be done, a lot of work to be done on, on understanding the plant and then uh, how it does match to the genome. But for the average uh, consumer out there who's concerned about their wellness, what are good practices right now? Um, that's a really excellent question because we are in the jungle of cannabinoid products, right? And we really don't have um, sort of like what a physician can tell you, hey, you need to take, you know, 200 milligrams of aspirin or to, you know, we don't have that yet. And so the best practices is to know your body, uh, to know how you respond. You have to really rely on self-observation right now, and you have to rely on self dosing and because not everybody's the same uh there are differences between females and males there's differences with ages with pre-existing health conditions with you know psychological status um economic backgrounds all of that stuff and so you have to, at this point there's nobody who can tell you hey you should really take 30 milligrams of cbd every day no um, it, you can't say that you have to really listen to yourself and figure out where are you at with, um, with responding to a particular type of um, product, um, including what type of delivery method um, is best for you. Yeah, we've talked many times. It's a test and learn scenario. It's a good idea to keep a journal and, as you say, really pay attention to your dose. I always like starting low and and um, and and see what effects it has um, and and work my way from there and then I um, you know and I I pay attention to the entourage effect and you know I, I, I and I, I it's almost like your your body is sort of like a research trial for yourself. Can I ask? Do you take uh, CBD? Oh yeah, I take CBD and I take CBG. Um, you know, I I really, really, um, really, really pay attention to to my health, um, and it has really helped me a lot. Um, it has helped me give it, getting sort of an overall feeling of well being. I feel really good and healthy, and um, I I really don't need any over-the-counter analgesics, pain medicines. I used to take a lot of um, uh, ibuprofen and naproxen and things like that because I'm also an athlete. I'm, I, I like, I like, I, I, I'm a dancer and, you know, and I've, I want to make sure I, I can dance. <laughs> so I take a lot. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. And so I like, I like also the entourage effect, you know, with, uh, CB, um, D and CBG and, you know, my husband, for example, he has trouble sleeping. And, um, so for him, CBN would be, um, a nice cannabinoid. He's not taking CBN right now because CBN products are still pretty rare on the market. Um, and CBN right now, because it is kind of like 
a, a rare cannabinoid is still pretty bright. The price point is still high. So product, any products with CBN are pretty expensive. Uh, but I know as we do more and more, um, as more and more processors um, are, del are providing CBN, I know that price point will come down very similar to what CBD came down to. Um, so yes, absolutely. I take cannabinoids every day. Do you prefer full spectrum or broad or an isolate? Um, my preference um, is um, an isolate uh, because that's, but that's just my preference because um, I do. Uh, I love the the fact that I can do very very um, reproducible dosing for myself, and also I give it to um, my animal. So I like to really know how many milligrams did I just give my dog? Uh, five or was it? The, the reproducibility of the five milligrams always. So I, I, I'm a fan of isolate, but I also know that the whole plant um, matters, you know, due to the entourage effect. And, um, but yeah, I, I'm an isolate fan at the moment. Um, also, the reason why, the other reason why I like isolate rather than full spectrum, because full spectrum just tastes so horrible. Um the, the you know because you have everything in there <laughs> it's just not very tasty whereas cbd you know you can mix it with like lemony type of you know oil so it's it's ta more tasty to me but then on on the other hand side i don't get the advantage of the whole plant matters entourage effect so everybody has different sensitivities and different preferences and that's what i was talking about earlier everybody has their own little um preference an isolate gives you just the CBD molecule and you're not getting the entourage effect, but that works for you. It works mm -hmm. for me. Yes. Um, but I'm also, I'm also a pretty healthy person. Um, so, I, you know, I, I feel like even though I am a full believer of the entourage effect, I think at this point I'm, I'm doing really well on the isolate. Mm -hmm. Is there a cannabinoid that might, suppress the appetite do we know anything about that yeah there is uh thc thcv is supposed to um <clears throat> help with obesity and weight loss um so that that one um has has gotten and, and i do want to say even though the word thc is in there um it's not a it's not the structure is not like thc and it's not um uh, causing you to be high. So we call it sort of like a, we call it a non-psychotropic cannabinoid THCV um, because it doesn't make you high, but it has shown anti-obesity and weight loss properties. I would think there would be an enormous market potential for that. I can tell you um, before <clears throat> we started uh, precision plant molecules, um, we um, kind of, I scouted the market before I even like had anything that we could offer to the consumers or to clients. So I scouted the market because I really wanted to know, well, where, what do people want? And I would like um, walk into a very, very famous um, CBD company. And the head of that company said to me, I will give you a contract, a standing contract right now uh, for a whole year, a standing contract, if you can deliver me 10 kilograms of THCV every week. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you know, I didn't even, 
even have it. <laughs> I just wanted to like do market analysis and, need, and identification of niche markets. Um, but this THCB, I mean, if you think about it, you know, Americans have always loved um, things that help them lose weight. And that is definitely one that um, we should be paying attention to. Well, you can't be too rich or too thin in California, so I know there would be a huge demand out here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You mentioned uh, plant precision molecules. Tell us more about what you're doing there. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, precision plant molecules, we started um, building the company, you know, once we, um, you know, the farm bill was signed, everybody jumped onto the wagon of, okay, let's all start um, um, processing hemp. Uh, because the regulatory stringencies was less than the marijuana side. And so we started out um, with the business concept of doing commodity business to business um, hemp crude extraction, as well as um, refinement to distillate, and then eventually um, further um, refinement to isolate. And so we started out that way, but um, that idea basically came to everybody else as well. So everybody did the same thing. And then, you know, then there was a huge market out there of processors and a lot of biomass that needs to be processed. And, uh, you know, all the farmers, you know, there was a huge increase in, in, in acreages uh, that were farmed. And so we went, we, we decided we want to be part of that club and did that, um, except for then um, in 2019, uh, we quickly realized that um, the market was somewhat, I don't want to call it crashing, but in 2018, when I went into the industry, I know that CBD isolate was, 8,000 bucks. And, um, and then, you know, now you can get it for a thousand bucks and we're not, we're talking, uh, this is a huge decrease in, in, in margin. Right. And so when we, when we realize that, um, that the market is kind of like really, really, um, tanking with regards to profit making in this industry, that's when, we uh, rearranged our model and decided we we're going to be a specialty um, processor processor of um, specialty um, cannabinoids such as CBG and CBN. Um, and so the challenge there was, well, how do you stay true to the plant and how do you get the minor cannabinoids out of the plant because those are the ones that we were going to go after. And so we had to like develop a full blown, I'm going to call it in parentheses, uh, in, in quotation marks, almost like an academic research program and really allocated a huge amount of resources towards high caliber scientists that have credentials, PhDs, uh, you know, in plant medicine, in um, analytical chemistry engineers, to put an interdisciplinary team together so that we could actually um, isolate and manufacture these rare special cannabinoids in a 
um, in a way that it's scalable so that you can actually have enough um, that you can sell. So a scale, the scalability of these um, minor cannabinoids is an issue. And so we put a lot of work towards it, a lot of research, a lot of optimization, a lot of scientific uh, uh, manpower was needed to really get us to a point where we're more of a niche specialty um, uh, cannabinoid ingredient supplier. Do you perceive yourself to be ahead of the curve? Are there other companies doing what you do? Uh, there are, um, but I think that the competition is much less than if we were to be a business-to-business commodity supplier of crude and extra uh, of crude distillate and isolate. Um, but there are very much fewer companies out there. And then if there are, uh, you know, everybody out there has their strengths and their weaknesses, or they have a different proprietary way of um, of sourcing. The cannabinoids, you know, so so PPM, we're really priding ourselves uh, that we have a scientific team that can can uh, um, process these minor cannabinoids um, in such a way that we get very high purity, um, you know, so that when we do sell our miners, that we can show all of the data that we acquired on them it's fully characterized uh, for molecular structure we have the scientific um, know-how to make sure that we know this is the structure this is the purity this is the molecular mass these are um, the this is the nuclear magnetic resonance spectrum that demonstrates that there's no contaminants. Um, we tested for pesticides, microbials. We do the whole arsenal of testing so that we are putting out a safe product. And so that's where our strength is. We have just a lot of um, scientific know-how on how to go about sourcing these. And the word interdisciplinary came up again. And you know, in this context, you have to think about, okay, is there a seed geneticist? Is the grower observing organic practices? That whole chain of production has to be aligned. Are you contracting with particular growers and saying, okay, we know this this cultivar has CBG or CBN? Is that how you go about it? Yeah, it just depends on the market need, you know. Um, so CBG was a big hit here in 2019 when Oregon had great genetics. And I think I've even seen biomass that had almost 18% CBG in there. It's almost like CBG was the minor, major cannabinoid, so not the minor. So it really... It really depends on your customer base. If you have a lot of customers that are interested in sourcing CBG from you, yes, you're going to contract with a farmer that has good genetics for CBG. Um, In 2019, I've worked with some um, genetics companies that were able to provide biomass that that was um, THC-free, and I did a lot of experiments on that biomass, and in fact... When I extracted it, um, you know, there was non-detectable amounts of THC in there, which is really amazing, but we don't, we don't have that type of biomass out there yet. It's working on, the, on a small scale um, where people are breeding and hybridizing, but we, don't, we haven't really figured it fully out. But I know that there's some, some uh, huge initiative going towards that. And I think those genetics were supposed to be available either this year or next year. Um, but you were mentioning an important uh, part of uh, you know knowing 
from the very front to the very end, that whole where does it come from and where is it going to end up? And I think that is an important piece in the in the hemp industry because it's really existing in the in on the marijuana side, um, so, because it's really stringently regulated on how you know the traceability starts from the front end all the way to the shelf on the consumer. And so I think what's going to have to happen is and and this is another thing that I was going to talk earlier about you know what is the future of Cannabin, the cannabinoid market, and one of the things is technology, and um, and and right now what we have to really look at is at blockchain. Uh, you know how can we implement uh, blockchain into this whole um, hemp and cannabis industry so that everything is there at your fingertips where you can just you know um, look on your phone. All right, so this is how the the seed this is where the seed came from these were the fertilizing conditions on the ground um this is then where how it was harvested this is how it tested um the the the, the potency testing when it was harvested okay then it came to this processor this processor used this type of solvent um then this processor sold it to this um uh, company who's then making consumer facing products and these and then how much was it you know what is the what was the financial transaction you know was it by uh, uh, a reputable um third party financial um bank or was it more of a cash payment you know these things are very important with regards to compliance and legal aspects to have that full clarity and that full transparency and knowing the traceability from the front to the end so that in the end we're protecting every single person in the supply chain. Yeah, that is an incredible vision and it certainly would give consumers the confidence they need to have every piece of it validated and verified along the way. That might be a ways off too, but I love the vision. Yeah, that's not that far way off, I think, um, because I'm hearing more and more about it now. Whenever I go to expos and conferences, the 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 concept of blockchain exists already, but not to the extent where I see it. So there's like other there are some um, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors right now where you know there's a certain part of um, the plant is being tracked, like hemp tracker or something like that, but it doesn't really have that whole comprehensive picture where you know sensor data is uploaded where you know okay so this was the ph of this biomass uh, in the soil uh, where you know you have that whole cloud computing uploading at every state uh, every state step of the way i just wish we could do it for news stories too oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that would be good (laughs) Another thing that popped in my head was as we get better at isolating these so-called minor cannabinoids and learning about them, will there be pressure to create them synthetically in the lab? Um, oh, I, I'm I'm sure, and I'm sure it's already being done. And I'm you know, and uh, you, you know, everybody has to figure out what they want. Um, most and synthesis you know i just have to be really um careful in using the word synthesis because synthesis is oftentimes associated with something awful because we're thinking about you know these awful what we call synthesized um 
street drugs, you know, like spice or some of these other things that that we have experienced these these uh, synthet synthetic um, cannabinoid-like. Um, more dangerous uh, types of substances. But if you think about synthesis, you're really, um, you have to really understand that what the plant is doing is synthesis. <laughs> you know, what the plant is doing is synthesis. We call it biosynthesis because it's a natural occurring uh, chemical reaction. Now, we in the lab can mimic these biosynthetic pathways, but we can also, and I'm, I'm a synthetic organic chemist, we can also come up with really clever ways on how you're going to take um, small components and put them together in such a way that it gives um, uh, a cannabinoid. So um, I'm, uh, I'm a proponent for all different directions of sourcing of high quality cannabinoids and um, you know absolutely pressure is out there because um, organic synthesis can be quick it can be clean it can be pure um, it can be um, it can be perhaps made as a at a much lower price point and then some people you know might not care um, if it's not fully isolated from the plant, some people might think, you know, I would rather spend a thousand dollars rather than ten thousand dollars because it it's it's a cheaper um, production pathway. It's not always the case, you know, that it's cheaper, but in many ways it is because uh, if you think about it, a lot of um, medicine right now, like vitamin C and you know aspirin and uh, chemotherapy uh, agent taxol these all were originating from the plant and now you know we're not extracting vitamin c anymore out of lemons we're making it so there's um there's a lot of concepts that have to be um considered especially in the regulatory space right uh with the fda um, having strong opinions on, you know, cannabinoids and are they considered a drug or, or an active pharmaceutical ingredient or are they a nutritional supplement? Are they plant-derived things? So there's a lot of jumble mumble out there and we have to look at all aspects of, of sourcing cannabinoids. Yeah, the regulatory side is big, but also just as a scientist, you can sort of dissect the entourage effect, right? Pull it apart. The metaphor that we hear sometimes, well, the entourage effect, it's like an orchestra. All the instruments come together and create this beautiful symphony. Well, what if you just want what the string section is producing or what the percussion section is producing? Oh, I love that analogy. I cannot even, um, I cannot say it better than that. That's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground and I know you're excited about a lot of things about this business, but what excites you the most about what you're doing um interestingly enough you know i i i just don't want to be a stagnant and boring scientist or professor that has already checked out you know uh, i i i'm also you know in addition of, to um being chief growth officer and co-founder at precision plant molecules i'm also a chemistry professor um, an organic chemistry professor and the worst thing that could ever happen to me is to be a stagnant um, uninspired professor and I want to be interesting and I want to be interested 
And I think you can only inspire others if you're inspired yourself. And if I have excitement and if I have vision and if I have energy, then my students will follow my lead and they will follow in my footsteps and they will be equally energized. And I think with this field being at the cusp of discovery, being on, you know, on the top of the world right now uh, of discovery, I think that that is um, what what gets me going to to be uh, at the forefront of cutting edge innovation to be at the forefront of um, plant-derived um, uh, molecules that provide health and wellness and uh, on, on, on the verge of being a, uh, a change agent. Yes, you're right there for sure. I mean, everything we talked about is about helping people use this plant to achieve better wellness. And you're you're right in the middle of it. So I'm so glad that you had time to share with us. Is there anything we should cover that we haven't? Uh, I think that one thing that uh, I wanted to just say is that uh, while we're still dealing sometimes with um, pushback and some stigma um, and negative reputation. I think now that we're bringing so much professionalism to the table, we're bringing highly qualified um, scientists and academicians, and we're starting to educate students. I think this this is just going to, this whole negative reputation is going to do slowly get erased. And we're going to be um, looking at this as a, a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful future. You're right. It's being professionalized. And with people like you at the forefront, you're a great role model for any, any scientist who would want to come in and, and see the amazing things that this plant is capable of. So thank you again for sharing your time, Andrea. And can you tell us where we can find you online? Yeah, so um, you can you can type into your Google or wherever whatever search engine you're using precision plant molecules, um, and if you just type my name next to it, it'll come up e easily. But I'm also um, a professor at uh, Doan University, and Doan University is in Nebraska, and um, so Doan is spelled D-O-A-N-E. And if you just type down University Andrea Holmes, um, I'll come up as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode, and I know I sure did. So thank you again for taking the time. Of course. Have a good one. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.